0: biota live i'm tom barbale and this is being recorded live on talk show february 6 2010 biota live is a continuation of the biota podcast for more information check out biota.org slash podcast and if you're interested in participating in Biota live you can get the details also via biota.org slash podcast it's live internet radio Anyone can call in, there's a chat that's open, and anyone can participate in the chat as the show is going on. We are currently recording on Saturday, it's moving to 8pm Pacific, so similar to the Friday except on the Saturday currently. I think probably we'll try a few times on the Saturday. As I mentioned in the previous two bio Lives, uh, my wife has a, a course on on Saturday afternoon and early evening, so it just makes it easier to do the podcast recordings on a Saturday and uh, this evening our our guest is none other than Hervé Noel who um, I'm expecting to call in in a minute but it's wonderful to have a chance to chat with Hervé, he's been part of the biota community for a few years now and certainly his Evo Rand development is something that a number of people in the community have used and talked about very highly so it'll be wonderful to chat with Hervé in a few minutes. And uh, for folks who have subscribed to the Biota Conversations mailing list, you'll know that recently I sent an email requesting feedback associated with the mailing list. It's coming up to five years now that I've been the editor of Biota.org and certainly surveying the community currently, there seem to be a number of strengths, obviously, with how we've been doing this podcast in particular for the past four years and also the Biota Conversations mailing list. But uh, a few people have identified some weaknesses as well, and I think it's important that we address uh, those going forward. And part of that is certainly the number of mailing lists that we have operational and also just the kind of projects that Biota is championing currently. There's been discussion probably for at least the past three years associated with creating an open source artificial life site, either on the Biota site or elsewhere similar to SourceForge or Fresh Meat or things like that and I think the momentum associated with that and particularly a, a social site where individual users on the site can do regular updates and potentially blog posts and these kind of things the whole, the whole movement towards those kind of interfaces I think is um, certainly motivating my thinking currently and I've had discussions both on the BIOTA Conversations mailing list and also with uh, folks that have contacted me directly uh, about what we need in that regard. It's been a topic of conversation, well, pretty well through the entire BIOTA Live series in terms of open source licensing and just how we'd construct such a site, but certainly the the momentum is moving towards uh, this kind of site being set up either on the BIOTA site or, like I said, potentially somewhere else. So I'm interested in gathering feedback currently from the Biota community associated with the various components of Biota. Do you like the podcast recordings in the current format? Would you like to have uh, mailing lists that dealt with other issues? Uh, would you like certain things to uh, to be discussed on, on Biota Live? And how about the site? Would you like to be able to you know access a, a more dynamic uh, user content created site? associated with artificial life, and certainly the feedback that I've received so far has been very interesting. I've not made any firm or hard decisions as yet, but I wanted to just alleviate some concerns that we're going through the Biota Conversations mailing list in particular. I don't think there will be any substantial format changes, in fact, I don't think there will be any format changes with regards to the Biota Conversations mailing list, and also both the podcast feeds, both the... Uh, biota, uh, well, the normal biota feed, uh, and also uh, the biota live light feed. Both of these feeds are uh, critical in terms of getting out podcasts to the community, and it's ironic uh, that we're talking to Irve this evening because Irve was the reason that we have the uh, biota live light feed in particular. So I'm certainly very mindful of the services that uh, you know the biota community already has, uh, but I'm just interested in uh, folks corresponding that may have some feedback points with regards to directions they'd like to see the podcast going, directions they'd like to see the site going, and potentially also the mailing lists. And certainly the correspondence that I've gotten so far has kind of reflected a few dominant themes. So I'm interested in hearing from folks in the community uh, about, you know, the way they feel uh, things with biota can improve.
1: Hello, Tom. Can you hear me?
0: I can, perfectly. Wonderful to have you on Biota Live this evening.
1: Yes, hi. Hey, good evening, Tom.
0: You've timed your call perfectly, uh, because I've just finished the news and notes, so we can get into to talking about EvoRand, your background in artificial life, and any other topic you'd like to discuss. So, uh, a, welcome to Biotal like I was saying. You have a long-standing interest in artificial life. I was reading through the EvoRand documentation, and uh, it says that you kind of started your interest in artificial life in the late 80s, but only recently started developing EvoRan. Can you kind of map your, your trajectory interest in artificial life leading up to, uh, to EvoRan today?
1: Well, I actually studied in, in France in a, what is called engineering school. Um, this is uh, quite similar to some universities in the, in the States. And my uh, specialized in uh, applying mathematics, and I studied quite a lot artificial uh, intelligence. And uh, genetic algorithm being applied to optimization uh, of uh, well be- being used to optimize for optimization. And uh, I actually at the end of my studies, I was actually quite interested in testing genetic algorithm. How to say with a, with, with creatures without uh, not to solve a a specific problem, but uh, to simulate uh, an environment with uh, how, how to explain that well I, I wanted to test whether uh, using genetic algorithm over creatures which had no specific goal to uh, to solve um, what would happen basically and uh, I tried to do this with a computer I had at that time which was an Apple IIc, and it was far too slow to to be able to <laughs> obtain anything So I stopped that for about 10 years, and in 1998, I bought a new computer solely for this, to try to develop this simulator, which had a different name at that time. It was called uh, Genetic World, and um, uh, immediately I was testing, well, my my main objective was to actually test large populations and uh, have a simulator that runs pretty fast to have many generations being run in in a few hours or a few days, um, just to see what happens.
0: <laughs> That's the basis for con- the contemporary EVO RAND. Is it, is it basically the same program, or has there, been, has there been any major modifications?
1: Well, I think the principle from the uh, haven't changed. I've just, uh, I keep adding, how to say, at the beginning, I had a fairly simple simulation of the DNA, which was a fixed size and everything pretty hard-coded. And uh, fairly basic uh, representation of the world, which was in, in 2D, squarish, and simulation of the time that was also uh, my quantum of time. And as time goes on, I try to add more flexibility, more uh, make the space of search larger. How to say? My, my main objective actually is to try to find whether uh, through this kind of simulation there can be group behaviors. Uh, a number of uh, creatures who have, uh, uh, just like ants for example, um, through evolution would uh, show a behavior that is suitable for survival of a group rather than survival of uh, of an individual creature. So from the very beginning I was trying to find a way to segregate different creatures in groups, which I call species, over time, I tried to actually improve this by analyzing the gene- genealogical tree, the the, the, um, the parent-child tree of uh, all the descendants, and separate species one from the other. I also added uh, a visualization in, in 3D, and one of the things I added about two years ago was to actually uh, change the DNA to be of variable size, so that... Uh, uh, the DNA itself is being passed, and the genes are extracted from the DNA and this gives a lot more flexibility to the to the simulation itself so i 'm just trying to test new ideas, <laughs> for example, testing uh, what is the effect of uh, adding a tide um, having the effect what is the effect of adding uh, the sun <clears throat> and uh, day and night and creatures being able to capture energy from the sun in the day and having no energy at night and try to get inspiration from life on earth and test new ideas here and there.
0: Terrific. And in terms of the variable length DNA, is this something which, uh, I mean, in terms of iterations after a certain number of generations, will will the length of the DNA increase slightly through mutation or is this preset and is the complexity of the creature directly related to the length of the DNA?
1: Yes, uh, actually there are, uh, well, many parts of the creatures are being coded in the DNA, including the mutation rate, but there's a, a particular parameter which is called the, which are called the, the growth rate, which, act- which is also coded in the DNA, and this growth rate is actually from one generation to the next generation, uh, affect how fast the DNA would increase in size or reduce in size. And uh, indeed, if I just leave it like this, you tend to have a very, very long DNA. So, um, so for example, to avoid having very long DNA, uh, I just uh, time the well upon the the, the gestation. Is that the, the term in English? Mm-hmm. The time for a creature to be born. It depends on the length of the DNA. So obviously, if the uh, DNA becomes very long, the time for the creature to be born takes longer, the energy from the parent is more and that naturally just limits the size. That's the kind of technique I have to implement to avoid uh, having DNA that are big very 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 long and uh, basically the behavior of the creature is a set of rules and those rules are extracted from the DNA so a longer DNA would make a a more complex uh, set of rules and a more complex behavior.
0: Certainly certainly so you mentioned an interest in neural networks initially is, is there any neural network behavior in EvoRand?
1: kind of doesn't work very well but kind of uh, basically the idea that I've tested is the the, the the rules themselves have a number of parameters weights let's say and uh, through the life of a creature if the rule was Beneficial uh, or the opposite. Uh, then the 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 weights of the rules are being adjusted. That's the only. It's not really neural networks, but it's some kind of uh, learning, let's say. But there's no real neural networks because uh, my main objective is being to, to have a simulator that is pretty fast to so have uh, many generations in in several seconds. Then uh, neural networks is tends to be to be quite slow. So, but indeed, I worked for five years in neural networks after my studies, but. Uh, I've not really implemented this, uh, not like Polyworld, for example, no.
0: Now, you mentioned Polyworld, but in terms of inspiration for EvoRan, did you take it from a variety of sources? I mean, hmm. Polyworld would have come out, what, four years before you started EvoRan, but were there other artificial life simulations that hmm. uh, gave you inspiration?
1: Actually, not at all. I started in 1998, and I had uh, zero contact with the, with the, the, with the community, uh, up until 2008 I think when I joined the uh, biota uh, mailing list but during the first ten years no I did everything uh, without any contact and without any inspiration actually just reading articles in science magazines and uh, and that's it
0: <laughs> wonderful no it's always good to have simulators in the wild so to speak that rejoin or, or join the community and um, I- Eric Burton has given you a lot of feedback and a lot of interest, and he's certainly very heavily involved with the kind of children of Polyworld as well, which is why the grouping initially came in my mind. In terms of your work with Eric, can you can you describe the feedback that he's given, and has he introduced ideas and code from things like Polyworld into Evo Rand, or are they, do you still consider the Original idea associated with Evo Rand is still motivating its development?
1: Through the, 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 the reading I have from the mailing list, I try to get some inspiration. And there are certain ideas which, well, there's one idea specifically that comes from what I read in the mailing list and from uh, Eric Button that I'm quite interested in doing, but I'm not too sure how to do it. Uh, it's the idea of trying to measure a level of complexity or, or intelligence. Uh, and see whether there is a plateau or whether it goes up and down and uh, throughout the the simulation. Because what a lot of people are saying is that this kind of simulator tends to plateau in terms of complexity of what emerged from the simulation. Well, I've been wondering, and that that was one of the suggestions from, from Eric, to try to do this kind of measurement. But I've been wondering how to do this, and I'm not too sure how to do it, because what I want to measure is the complexity, not not of an individual, but of a group of individuals. And I find this quite difficult to to define, because, for example, for a while I had a a simulation where, uh, how to say, I made it possible for a creature to somehow kill another creature. And what you see emerging from the simulation is groups of species that were each occupying part of the of the world, part of the land. Mm-hmm. And at the boundary, they were just killing the creatures that were of a different species. And that was basically you had creatures in the middle that were feeding, reproducing themselves, and those at the boundary that were just uh, committing suicide, killing uh, creatures of, a, of another species. And I would like to have a way of defining complexity that is not related to one creature, but to the group. And I find it a bit difficult to define, actually.
0: Certainly. I mean, the phenomenon that you're describing, I refer to as nationalism, when it's done within the noble ape context, which may be a bad anthropomorphic uh, (laughs) attribution, but you're describing perfectly what I would refer to as nationalism in terms of uh, regional groups and, as you say, either... Uh, killing or at least making it impossible for other groups to, to join the Central Core. This idea of, of race, can you talk a little bit more about it in the context of Evo Rand?
1: Well, the way it was done at the beginning was not very, very good. I think the way it's done now is, is uh, <clears throat> I'm just uh, memorizing the whole genealogical tree. Is that, is that clear? Mm-hmm. From From the first generation, I keep track of all the descendants. And I analyze this, this tree to uh, to separate the various species. So obviously, when all the descendants of a given species are are dead, and uh, then I take one of the existing species and split it in two, based on the difference between the common ancestor, uh, the, the, the number of generations with the common ancestor. Um, that's the way I'm doing it now. I'm not too happy with this because I think. The results may, for example, if if you have a, a species where, within that species, some become, let's say, plants, and others are more herbivores, then it would make more sense to actually separate the herbivores as a new species rather than uh, looking at difference in generations. But there again, uh, I think it goes back to this definition of complexity. It's probably the same problem. If uh, there is a way of uh, measuring complexity within a group, then maybe separation of species should be based on difference in that measurement. But there again, I'm not too sure exactly how to do it. I mean, it it looks nice on, well, the the concept is is quite clear, but how to implement it, I'm I'm not too sure yet how to do it. (laughs) That's something that I've I've actually been uh, wondering about over about a year since eric mentioned this and uh, yeah still struggling with it
0: certainly now you described a situation where a certain species can move in different directions and one becomes a carnivore and the other becomes a plant can you describe how how this is possible through evo rand
1: the, the the way the the, the the rules that define the the behavior of of a creature inside evil ram is uh, say a list of uh, tests and conditions and followed by an action and there are various types of actions that are possible one is to eat another creature and another one is just called root so when a creature takes that action root it becomes a plant and when a creature takes an action to eat another creature if it eats another creature which is a plant I consider this as being an herbivore if it's it another creature which is not a plant then it's uh, a carnivore but all those are not predefined within the simulator there are just rules or encoded inside well extracted from the DNA and uh, the various types of actions one action being to be able to root itself and then it becomes a plan that's that's not very realistic from a <laughs> physical uh, point of view but. Uh, it's simple to implement inside a, a simulator and the result is actually fairly realistic because what you can see usually when you when you run the simulation, you see uh, creatures that are moving randomly, getting energy from the sand at the beginning, which I call larvae. Mm-hmm. And then you see first plants who start to occupy uh, bodies of water, then the, 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 the coast, let's say, and then after a while herbivores and etc.
0: And in terms of i mean you're talking about you 're talking about the genetics the the genotypes, but in terms of phenotypes, I can imagine in you know five ten years' time with ever increasing kind of graphics cards, complexity algorithms, these kind of things, beautiful kind of hybrids if if you start to visualize this in you know animals that become plants that then go back to being animals again i mean the, the graphics uh, in terms of movement, in terms of what these creatures actually look like after multiple cycles could uh, produce some, some fascinating results.
1: Well, yeah, it, it's true that in terms of uh, phenotype, there isn't much that I'm trying to simulate, in, like being able to walk or swim, things like size or energy at birth or things like this. Uh, but within the 3D visualization, I do try to represent, not really herbivores and carnivores, but larvae, those creatures that haven't done any complex, that that they haven't done any complex uh, action, you can see them as larvae, then you can see some kind of fish with little legs, so they can walk. And the plants themselves are shown like a some kind of flower. But... Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I do enjoy looking at the 3D, but it's very basic the way I represent it. Uh, there again, because usually I'm trying to represent thousands, you know, 10,000 uh, creatures, and in 3D, if I try to do some complex representation, not only takes time to do it.
0: <laughs> Certainly. But also Certainly. it would
1: slow down pretty much the, 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 the visualization. So it's true that I don't spend much time on this. I'm just I'm trying to use the little time I have to improve really the the, the uh, complexity of the space that is available for the creature to explore and uh, develop more complex uh, behaviours and potentially more complex uh, interaction in, among themselves.
0: Certainly, certainly. I think the potential in the future with regards to collaboration, if there are engines like, I mean, for example, if Brevet, I'm not sure if you've looked at breve or Framsticks.
1: I, I, I did look at it a bit. Framstick I, I know a bit, a bit more, yeah?
0: Certainly, but I mean, in terms of those as visualization engines, if you put in the genetics from from Evo Rand into those and then you know if, if there was motion genetics and then this notion of roots and plants and these kind of things i mean there 's this potential for a lot of really beautiful uh, visual and algorithmic collaboration. Have you thought about i mean particularly working with Eric Burton Eric seems to uh, well now he, he maintains two or three projects quite heavily. Do you get the sense that in the future there'll be collaboration? And uh, Let's project your kind of dream collaboration. I mean, would you like to see Evo and Framsticks hybridized? Can you see that working together?
1: Well, why not? Actually, uh, at the very beginning of EvoGrid, there were two uh, directions for EvoGrid. One that was was I can't remember the two terms that were being used, but one is pretty much alive today, which is the, the simulation at the Molecular or chemical level, but there was another EvoGrid which was, I can't remember the, EvoGrid Broad, if I remember well. Yeah,
0: I think we changed uh, it to Biota Eve um, as the broader, but I mean, the legacy was that the, really the EvoGrid idea was originally Biota Eve, and mm-hmm. then the EvoGrid as it is now came probably about 18 months ago. Uh, but no, yeah. I, I'm, 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 so in that context, what you could do with EvoRand is create the kind of genetic representation, and then allow the farming of the kind of visual representation to go out to something like Framsticks or brevet and yeah, uh, you know, it, it seems fascinating in terms of the kind of collaborative potential of the project as well. I mean, is this is this your aim in the you know next five ten years?
1: I think if there was a uh, active intent of trying to get a number of simulators to be able to communicate among themselves to share. A way of uh, defining the phenotypes or the well, the the, the behavior or the or the representation of, of a creature and and share this among a number of simulators. I would be definitely very interested in, in participating in this. Yes,
0: certainly. So, I mean, I've I've run. I think it was the. I'm not sure. Was it 1.3? The version on your site, the one that was for yes. Linux. So I I had some sense of the. Of the simulation as it is currently, what what kind of features are you looking to add? And I also get the sense that you're you're the kind of quintessential artificial life hobbyist in terms of when you have time to work on it or the inspiration you work on it, and then you know it remains dormant, and then you work on it in in you know <laughs> large large time cycles in some regard. So what what are the next major features that you're looking to put into EVO rant
1: Well, yeah, you're pretty you're pretty right because mainly because of my job. There are periods of sometimes six months where I can't do anything, then periods of uh, six months where I can do work a bit, and in six months I manage to implement one idea and that's it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, the the next main step that uh, I plan to to do within EvoRand is to introduce the notion of memory inside the, the creature so that they can have a well, instead of having an uh, instant decision all the time, that they can have uh, more complex rules, for example, uh, memorizing uh, the location of the offspring, for example, so that they can maintain contact and reach them again uh, later on in, in their own life, for example. And another thing that I'm planning to do, which goes probably with it, is to memorize the, the environment that the creature has been visited over time so that it can go back to a certain location, for example, its birthplace, or, or yeah, the location of its descendant or its parents, um, memorizing a place where it had built a nest, for example, so it can return to the nest, this kind of thing. At the moment it's more, well, there's no memory, so the result is instant decision based on the perception of the environment, and that's it. And I think this is limiting pretty much to the, the possibilities of the simulator.
0: Certainly, well that almost sounds like a hybridization either with Polyworld or Noble Ape as you describe it, so again, yeah. I think this this vision for the future of of collaboration and i've i 've rewritten a section of Polyworld to simulate the sea monkeys within noble ape, and I think <laughs> the the potential is there with regards to uh, well noble ape being the the cognitive simulation being removed and put in other simulators, so I think this is a uh, all, all possible in the in the very near future i like the idea of uh of returning to birth places and uh you know mappings of uh environments because that's certainly the uh the narrative associated with with noble ape as well
1: well, well there was i think uh, about a year ago some start of discussion on how this could be done and uh, there was some discussion on uh the notion of sharing or not sharing a uh, simulation time I, I would be quite interested in well if, if this was a topic of interest among a number of people uh, that, that's something I would be definitely interested in participating in
0: well I mean to give some background of, of the way it occurred with with Larry Yeager and myself uh, I volunteered probably three weekends to rewrite the necessary code and showed it to Larry and wrote a chapter based on the analysis, so I mean the way it's been done currently is relatively informal, and similarly, I know John Klein in particular is always interested in getting collaboration in brevet as well so I think rather than formalizing these things oftentimes the the informal nature of these things tends to dictate that uh you know if people have time to invest then uh, then you know a, a couple of weekends spent a to put the code together. But the stuff that we were discussing with regards to BioTareve was really about creating almost standards in order to do this. And I think what will happen in the future is that as these collaborations become more frequent, the best practices associated with how to actually do these things will, uh, will establish themselves. Certainly my experience working with Larry was that the interfaces had to be simplified to a certain extent. We found very quickly what the perfect overlap of interfaces was, um, whether or not this would be universalized with all simulators is, a, is another thing. But the only way to find out is to try, really. So, yeah, let's, let's move that offline in the, uh, in the near future. It would be wonderful uh, to have the opportunity. I think in particular with regards to visualization as well, what you're describing with regards to the genetics becoming more and more complicated is also beautifully described in phenotypes. And uh, a visual representation of the genetics would also show that, and particularly the movement between herbivore, carnivore, and, and plant. I think there's, there are a number of potentials there. We've kind of described what you see potentially in the future with regards to Evo Rand. What would you like to see from the artificial life community to support your own hobbyist development?
1: <laughs> the impression I have is uh, when I've shared EvoRand uh, Rand with, with, with other people who've Uh, who had more or less interest in in that area. I think the feedback I had most of the time is that it's it's a bit complex to to understand what is happening. I'll say the the number of parameters you can play with and try to understand what is happening uh, over uh, a number of generations try to analyze the evolution of, of the various species is something that seems to be quite difficult for the people who've tried to use it in the past. So Indeed, uh, for a while I was hoping that maybe by making my simulator available over Internet, uh, there might be some interest in trying certain people using it, making certain suggestions. This did not really happen. It could be because it's pretty difficult and not very user-friendly. So I'm not really nowadays uh, hoping or expecting uh, the community to, to, to use Evoran and to try to suggest certain Ideas of uh, of modification, well, of, of certain <clears throat> functionality that could be added to improve, especially the the or increase the the, the space of uh, possibilities. Um, I'm more hoping to through well, using certain simulators that exist in the community, or reading and listening to biota live and reading the the mails in the uh, conversation list. To, to have inspirations, <clears throat> I'm trying to get inspirations from all, all directions, really. And what others are doing, what people are saying, what Big Gordon mentioned also, which is that the um, basically the complexity will come more from, I'll say, the, 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 the interpretation of the DNA being something that could be evolving itself or being more or less part of the DNA. That the DNA itself encode the interpretation of itself. Uh, something that is fundamental to the emergence of, uh, well, to the, to, to the emergence of ever more complex behaviors. Those are ideas that I try to, to get inspiration from, uh, also from scientific magazines, magazines about uh, the origin of life on Earth. Uh, I'm more trying to get inspiration from all directions. I'm not uh, hoping so much to have uh, direct feedback from people using Evoran, because it seems to be... Well, uh, I wouldn't say boring, but uh, difficult. Well, <laughs> but if That's the impression I have today, yeah?
0: Yeah. If I may give some feedback, um, and this is interesting because the the whole closed source but publicly available versus open source, I mean, if we talk about, for example, my collaboration with Larry Yeager with regards to Polyworld and Ape. it was based on the fact that both of our source codes were publicly accessible and uh, not only publicly accessible, but also uh, had kind of generations of development that was accessible, so I wasn't just taking Mm -hmm. a particular version of uh, Polyworld, but I could go back and see, you know, what versions three years ago were like before a particular PhD student had done some changes and these kind of things, so I guess my feedback with regards to Evo and specifically was I downloaded the uh, latest Windows version, which didn't work on my Vista machine. I went back two versions to a version which did work. But if the source had been open source, I would have got the source code and actually fixed the problem, which stopped it working (laughs) on on, on the Vista machine um, and then given you that feedback. So it's funny because the community really does exist almost in three different groups. There's the open source free download group, there's the closed source free download group, and you're you know, you have luminaries such as Jeffrey Ventrella as well in this group, although I'm trying to move him into open source progressively. And then you have uh, closed source for sale or for commercial use uh, aspects Mm -hmm. of the community as well. I mean, um, Steve Brand is a good example of this. Um, Although, again, I'm trying to move them into open source, uh, open access. So the the feedback I would give is that if you want people to uh, take the aspects of EvoRand, which are most productive and and potentially even do things like put them in Brevet or Framsticks, the critical bit that is missing currently is the source code. What's your thinking with regards to maintaining closed source? And is there something that could move uh, EvoRand into open source?
1: Well, I knew this, this, this subject would come, anyway. <laughs> no, I, I uh, well, I think I have no strong objection in, uh, in, in giving the source code of, of everyone. Absolutely, no, no objection. And uh, yeah, if there is an easy way to put the source code somewhere, uh, share it among the community, maybe I can get some uh, uh, recommendation from you uh, of, this, of this conversation about how to do this. The, the, the most uh, the easiest way
0: well no, currently I, no I, I can yeah sorry currently the SourceForge. it's not particularly good there's also Google I mean would you you already use Google to get the uh, distribution out so yeah. there's also there's also a source control uh, on Google as well as Google source this SourceForge forge uh, for a number of years because I had problems with SourceForge. Um, associated with their money-making models and things like that. I've just maintained the source code on the Noble Ape site uh, of various versions that people could download. There are a number of ways of getting the source code out there, uh, both formal in the case of using SourceForge's subversion or CVS repositories or informal in terms of just having a downloaded zip file or downloadable zip file. Um, so really, I think the community is pretty agnostic in terms of how the source gets out. I know Larry uses um, SourceForge as well, and I've encouraged uh, Jeffrey Ventrella uh, to move his project onto SourceForge. Um, so, the rest no, of own... uh, sorry.
1: Yeah, I, I'll do that. Well, at least I'll, I'll start by putting the, the source code in on the website just as a, as a zip file. There's, there's no problem. Uh, well, my, my main concern actually is more that uh, kind of is maybe a bit of a French way, I don't know, but I want to have a, <clears throat> a pretty good control over the efficiency of the code, so that uh, the simulation stays and remains pretty fast, uh, and whatever modification being done to it is pretty fast. But I guess uh, that's, that that can be uh, uh, something that uh, anybody who is modifying it uh, could could maintain as well. And there's no. That was my main concern, actually, up to recently, uh, and that is my main concern is to maintain the, the the speed of execution, basically, pretty good, pretty pretty fast. But uh, I'll start by putting the source code over on the, on the Evolent website, and I'll see if I can use uh, probably SourceForge to to put uh, the the code there and maintain it in a slightly more professional way. <laughs> yeah.
0: terrific, terrific. And I think certainly, I mean that that was the only um, the only critical feedback I could give. I thought the documentation uh, was pretty good, and certainly I got a sense of the simulator having run it for many cycles. Yeah, you were correct. There is an underlying complexity behind it, uh, but the source for the source code is the only additional thing that I think you'd need to give to the community in order for the community to get a, a better understanding of what was going on. So no, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the source
1: code. Yeah, but seriously, I have no, I have no concern about commercial. I have no intention of doing any commercial use of it in the future. It's, it's purely for fun, purely as a. Uh, and uh, any feedback that I can have from from the community will be will be welcome. Yeah. And especially if there are, I mean, if, if there is some work being done in the past on how complexity of a group. Can be defined, measured, calculated. That's something I would be really interested, actually.
0: Terrific, terrific. Well, it's the right step putting it, uh, putting the source code out, because I think, certainly, with folks in the community like Eric Burton and a wide variety of other folks that you know live and breathe source code and these kind of things. I think the the metrics could probably be easily applied once the, the source code is available. You've talked a little bit about Evo uh, Rand as a, as a hobby, as a kind of artificial life hobbyist. What do you see the strengths are in the artificial life as a hobby model?
1: Really, I haven't read anything that comes from the um, educational uh, environment, so I'm not too sure what is being done outside the this world. Uh, I know Larry Yeager is a He's working in a university, but uh, other than him, I'm not sure among the members of the community, uh, I have the impression that the majority are hobbyists, really, and that's maybe specific to the Biota mailing list, but I have the impression that other than the hobbyist community, there's not much going on, I don't know.
0: So I'm sitting in my library, I'm sitting in my library here and I've got the Artificial Life Journal, which is the MIT Press publication that publishes quarterly in front of me. So maybe I have a visual representation that there's something else going on, but no, I mean, that's (laughs) that's the beauty of the biota community is that oftentimes if we didn't get academics, people like Mark Badaw and Larry and uh, people like Liz Swan, a wide variety of other academics. Well, Tom Ray is another good example. There is certainly an academic community as well. I think there's movements currently to try to integrate the hobbyist and academic communities because the academic community listens to to BioLive as well. I mean, there are a number of people in the academic community that see a real strength in the kind of discussions that we uh, have here. And similarly, I think the... um, well, the academic community does its own thing; it moves in its own directions, and it, it, it's answerable to a, a wide variety of things that the hobbyist community doesn't. But what I liked is your description of taking from—well, not really even participating in the artificial life community, but kind of doing your own thing, and then discovering that the community was was running in parallel. Uh, because I think that's the that's the nature of uh, of, of the hobbyist fundamentally. And certainly, I mean, I hope the source code going online and um, communication and, and collaborative interest comes as well, because I'm sure that will re-energize aspects of your hobby.
1: But what I, uh, well, I don't know. I think uh, hobby probably just, uh, well, I, I guess each and every hobby probably has its own goal. is trying to look for something. <laughs> uh, uh, some will try to. Uh, download and modify existing simulators. Uh, others will try to develop their, their own. Uh, but the, the, the academic uh, could, well, I, I guess, look at more fundament, fundamental aspects of uh, of what we're doing in the Life community, like, for example, I think Larry, and, and I tried to get some inspiration from this, he, he wrote a number of papers on how to measure complexity, but I was... If I understood it, we well, more measurement of the complexity of the brain or the neural networks that form the, the creatures in, in polyworld, um, and uh, that's the kind of thing that I would expect from the from the academy, is from the, the academics, uh, which is to uh, formalize things and uh, define criteria such as uh, how to measure complexity of an individual, a complexity of a group, or things like this. we expect. This 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 kind of formalisation to come from from the uh, academics.
0: Certainly, and if you recall uh, Stephen Guerin, who was on two podcasts uh, recently, the most the most yeah. recent was the simulation science one. I mean, he, his team is very much about taking the uh, behavior of intelligent agents and then mapping that almost onto the kind of complexity model. So certainly I've received a lot of correspondence from people uh, such as yourself who are saying we have independent agent simulations. What method can we use to uh, model this complexity? And I think Stephen provides a, a very interesting insight that the same, the same uh, complexity analysis that is used by Larry Yeager and others with regards to neural networks or cognitive simulations or whatever you want to call it, can also be applied to uh, groups of agents uh, with, with very interesting results. I mean, I think what this returns to is Dick Gordon's comment that you can think of us as uh, solid human bodies or you can think of us as you know millions of bits of bacteria that all seem to operate together. And I think that metaphor is very useful in terms of understanding how um, how complexity can be used both with regards to individual agents and also vast numbers of agents.
1: Well if I understand well what Stephen is doing he's using uh, agent-based modeling to try to help organizations improve their own process if, if I understood clearly what, what he was mentioning is, it, is that correct?
0: Certainly but the, what he is doing in parallel to this and this is this idea of simulation science is that the tools that exist currently for describing uh, how these agents move and behave and interact are very poor um, for uh, Mm. use in pure science. So there needs to be something that comes along with this that explains these interactions in more generalizable and kind of algorithmically um, reproducible or understandable forms. So really this is a a kind of... uh, uh, an intellectual movement that is creating almost a new kind of mathematics that explains um, from complex agent-based models um, how you can get out, and he uses the example of thermodynamics, for example, um, in some of his discussion. But I think what will come through this is probably something that is m- maybe based in some regard in thermodynamics, but will probably be distinctly different. I mean, this is the curious thing through the uh, lives from uh, Justin Lyon, is that there? Are, um, there's a subset of the community that is very much interested in this uh, new mathematics in terms of uh, agent-based complexity and how this can all fit together. Um, and Stephen was a, a good example in terms of his descriptions of this, although, um, as you've noted, it's not uh, it's not hard science yet. It's very much in the early phases.
1: Yeah, and I guess maybe there's two approaches to, to the there's, uh, there's maybe a measurement of complexity based on parameters that are uh, discrete, and maybe measurement based on parameters that are continuous. Maybe there are two, two different criteria that could be uh, developed or defined, either based on continuous or discrete um, attributes that are being measured on the agents. and uh, and aggregate it somehow over a group, and to see, yeah, yeah, and, 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 and yeah, and measured. Well, differences among the individuals of a group must be taken into account. And I'm not too sure, but uh, I guess what I'm looking for is more something that would be based on discrete measurements of discrete attributes of uh, of the individuals in a group, and measure something over the evolution of the discrete attributes, and how differences within a group can be accounted for as a measurement of the overall complexity of the group, something like this. I'm not too sure. uh, If one day I get uh, some idea of how to to, to do this, I will share it definitely.
0: Certainly. uh, I mean, there are a number of trivial models to do with consumption and space and age. Uh, And certainly when I was having this discussion with Larry Yeager, um, which was... Published in a, a book called Nature Inspired Informatics. Actually, the, there, there are a number of there are a number of simple fundamentals that you can use to try and track these things. But as you say, it, it probably comes from a hybridization of a number of these. And also, it's dependent. I mean, like, like all kinds of genetic survival. I mean, the, the genetic algorithm is based on the selection criteria fundamentally. So um, you know, there, there are there are some kind of arbitrary. Um, uh, metrics that can be created initially and whether or not they're meaningful in the long term uh, depends on probably a variety of factors. But uh, in terms of, I mean, you're talking to the community now, you've, you've listened to Bio to Live since it started and you've uh, you've participated in the conversations mailing list. Aside from this complexity question, which you've certainly uh, clearly raised in uh, this evening's Bio to Live, what other kinds of questions do you have for the community? What, what would you like to see the community working on?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. I, I remember another topic that I, I found quite interesting for a while was, uh, I think there was an initi- initiative from you. you. You were trying to uh, define some best practices, and, uh, and I found it quite interesting, and something that I would have been interested in participating to them as well. But what what I think is that there are so many ways of approaching uh, simulation of artificial life, being wet or hard or soft, uh, it would be probably quite a a difficult exercise to define best practices. So, no, I don't know. I I think the the variety of ideas that are being shared and, and tested inside the community is something that... I find very interesting. I, I would mainly hope that, uh, that that more ideas are being shared somehow. But I, I don't have any uh, any other expectation other than really inspiration, trying trying new, new approach to to simulating artificial life. And uh, I, I really enjoy the variety of ideas. And uh, and I would more expect new ideas to be. Raised among the community rather than any anything else, really. I think the variety of thoughts, the variety of thoughts, variety of inspiration among among the community, which is which is interesting and which I hope will will remain uh, more than anything else. I think sharing of ideas, sharing of uh, of experiences, is what is the, the most interesting, really.
0: And what you described with regards to be- best practices was the idea of the XML phenotype in communicating between simulations? Is this what you were talking about specifically?
1: Well, that was more or less at the same time, but it could, it could cover other things. Uh, it could be uh, as well, I don't know, when, when you do uh, representation, when, when you use a, a, a DNA to represent information as a string of uh, bits, and uh, you apply to this uh, mutation uh, that can uh, there could be, for example, uh, best practices to make sure that uh, the effect of your mutation would not systematically uh, modifi- modify drastically the values or the, the information as being encoded in your DNA. Uh, this is, for example, an area where I think there could be some best practices. And, and, and this is something that could be defined or suggested in the community that, that's that's an example maybe quite trivial but
0: uh, that's certainly. An example. certainly even that is a contentious point within the community and i think yeah what is, that's interesting <laughs> well what is interesting in my own experiences with noble ape and this is this is ironic because it is with two mds two uh two different perspectives with regards to medicine um, in terms of the feedback that they've given to noble ape one relates to um, a, a doctor who deals primarily with children and mm-hmm. his experiences there is that there is probably far greater mutation than we give attribution to. This came a couple of eyes uh, ago, actually, um, in a discussion by William Buckley. I mean, what happens when children are born is that they're fundamentally classified and any movement away from the norm is, is uh, ideally corrected as close to birth as possible So our own perception with regards to mutation just as humans is limited. So on one side, um, one doctor said you've got to increase the mutation. On the other side, another doctor said the mutation needs to be decreased. It needs to be a smaller amount of mutation in order to accurately represent, you know, humanoid-like creatures. So I think even, and this is outside the community, this is with um, effectively with scientists that uh so these kind of discussions I think um, I mean my own view is that uh, the the level of mutation should be a, a parameter which is set by the user or through some kind of negotiation if multiple simulations are, are participating, but uh, even that is a, you know a contentious topic in the real world, let alone within the artificial life community uh, but no it 's a fascinating discussion
1: well I, I i do like generally the idea that uh, uh the, the level of mutation should be something that is uh, not being imposed by the simulator or but it's something that should be uh, evolving and should should be defined through through um how to say uh, that it should be encoded inside the DNA and it should be uh, through a natural selection that uh, it becomes either high or, or low. I've seen for example when I test uh, something I call cataclysm, when I test the phenomenon that would kill a number of creatures uh, randomly, you see that automatically the mutation rate goes higher because they need, the creatures need to evolve a lot faster to be able to adapt to the fact that the environment is under high pressure. So this is something that you can see in Evoram immediately. As long as you turn on this cataclysm thing, you see that the mutation rate goes up within a few generations, because the environment is putting a lot more pressure on the creatures, and then you see the the mutation rate evolving. But then, uh, there again, I think the way you represent and code in a binary form uh, the various I don't know, the the size or the the energy of a creature that it has at at birth, Um, a slight change to one bit due to mutation should not drastically affect your descendant. It should have a small impact or things like this, or no impact sometimes. And this kind of representation of the data is something where I feel there could be some best practice uh, defined, even maybe with theoretical background to it, but uh, i don 't know whether that exists, but I think that's an area where could there could be some some best practice being defined uh, yeah i don 't know when I'm clear, but uh, that, that's the idea
0: no it is it is fascinating because i mean if you if you look at uh, catastrophes as they've affected uh, various species in the real world, i mean particularly the the narrative of kind of human evolution. Uh, and, you know, the dinosaurs and things like this. I mean, the yes. the result of catastrophes, does it really increase the the, the need for... Gen- I don't know if that's uh, true or not. I think that's a question out to the community. I can see in one sense that what you're creating um, is the potential for there to be more, but if you look at things like r- real catastrophes, like drought, uh, these kind of things, famine, the... Um, Really, what you're finding there is um, a very selected subset of the genetics, or the the ones that are allowed to continue through those catastrophes, if at all. But it's a very interesting simulation problem, and I think thank you very much for uh, for phrasing that out to the community. In terms of other uh, best practices, aside from just mutation, I mean certainly the descriptions that I gave, moving towards the um, XML phenotype related to concepts like energy, concepts like space and time. I mean, what you would think would be relatively easy uh, things to standardize. Um, And even they caused a great degree of contention, particularly because the number of simulators had never really considered how big their (laughs) simulated entities were in in relation to to other simulated entities. Is, Is this part of your idea of best practices as well?
1: Well, yes. Why, why not? Indeed, I think it should. It is probably possible to, to define a fairly uh, flexible uh, uh, the 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 XML uh, definition a definition of an XML that should be fairly flexible that encompasses various ways of uh, representing and processing even the DNA or or the phenotypes or the genotypes. I, I think there is uh, ways of Defining it in a fairly flexible way and uh, and I would be interested in participating in in this bringing some some well sharing some ideas on on what would be um, interesting to to code inside a xML uh, and and probably i don't know I think it might be possible even for parts of an XML definition to be used by a given simulator uh, um without considering another part, how, how could I say that? If I take Evoran, for example, I could for a, quite easily add inside the the DNA a representation of genes which are exactly the uh, phenotype of, um, I don't know, Framstick, for example, I don't know. That's something that would be quite easy to do uh, for me and I would be interested in in doing things like this.
0: Certainly, certainly. I think also implicitly when we were discussing the XML phenotype, there was the idea, as you say, for uh, various components that could be used by all simulators, but also uh, almost a kind of opt-in strategy where some simulators would choose to uh, simulate the components from other simulators, but it wasn't necessarily required. So I think that really came implicitly with the idea of the XML phenotype was what we were trying to do was take a variety of different simulators and work out what the, what the shared subset was with the view that obviously um, not every simulator would take every uh, bit of information from every other simulation, but there had to be a, a shared subset group in some way.
1: Well, I, I, I don't know, but uh, I think if, if a number of people were to uh, try to define in XML, what actually is part of their own representation of, of a creature, uh, and we get five or ten of those representation together, it might be possible to extract from there some common parts, which, with little work from a number of people, could be matching fairly well uh, among among a few few simulators. Um, I don't know, that could be an interesting exercise,
0: but that's the aim, I think, of, of biotary fundamentally, uh, and certainly. And as I started, I started the show by talking about some of the feedback that I've received already from the Biota community. Uh, but there's a there's a strong discussion associated with creating uh, a site, uh, possibly part of Biota, possibly a, a separate site, uh, to do this kind of collaboration, almost akin to. SourceForge, but certainly with periodic updates and uh, ability for simulators to to compare notes in a in a very real setting. So I think the momentum from the community is is certainly moving in that direction. It will be wonderful to have uh, you and Evo Rand uh, as part of that discussion.
1: But where, where is the the situation today with Biota eve Is there a, a separate mailing list, or is there a
0: there is a separate mailing list. I think the discussion that uh, is being had currently um, uh, between Bruce Damer, Gerald De Jong, uh, I've had some correspondence with Scott Schaefer. We were, the, we were the primary people involved with that initially, is that we need to either create a site through Biota or create a separate site that will allow for that collaboration easily. And rather than going through... Um, a formalized mailing list or something, or a wiki. I mean, the problem is that the uh, mechanisms that we've had through Biota previously have not been ideally suited for these kind of collaborations. They've been additional technologies which give us something like an ability to edit each other's XML phenotype through wikis, but it's the wrong kind of collaborative interface um, and similarly mailing lists and things like this. So what we're looking at currently, there are a number of um, social site packages which are ideally suited for this kind of um, cross-collaborative development. Uh, and certainly the correspondence I'll include you in that uh, has been with regards to which of these sites or which of these um, mm-hmm. Particular platforms would be ideally suited for what we want to do. Um, but I think the, the motivation is there. What will happen is that we'll, um, it will be either a separate project or a biota project or there will be some connection, but the discussion currently is how do we represent this in a visual way. And, I mean, obviously with the development that a number of people in the community are doing currently, take Gerald DeYoung with Darwin at home, for example. Yes. The stuff that he has done in the past, Six months has been very different than what he has done in the six months prior to then. Um, the developments are moving in different directions, so tracking it through a static site or even a wiki is difficult currently. There needs to be a dynamic way that we can we can collaborate easily, uh, and that's the, the problem that we're kind of discussing offline currently with the view that probably in a March time frame um, we will have found a, a package and an environment and... Um, so it's very much part of the current discussion. It's not going on through mailing lists. It's being done between individuals currently, um, but that's only because the way the the mailing lists operate currently. So there is formally a biotariff mailing list, but the traffic through that hasn't been particularly good, um, and it really relates to individual participants' collaboration currently.
1: Mm-hmm. In which way? In which way could I could I could I participate? Do you
0: think? Well, uh, merely by asking, I'll include you in the discussion. Um, and this goes out to the community as well. Um, the discussion currently has just been about basic nuts and bolts, um, how these things all fit together in terms of the existing biota infrastructure, whether it needs to be something separate. Obviously, um, if you appreciate Peter Newman, who was on the last podcast, is doing all the EVO grid development. He also maintains yep. the biota site. So my personal view is Peter is, um very you know, is very conscientious with regards to the stuff that he does with biota, but I don't want um I don't want his time commitments with regards to the EvoGrid to you know, mean that it is an either or choice that he has to make. I think there needs to be an independent uh site uh, possibly within biota um that would allow this kind of collaboration which isn't taking Peter's time. I mean Peter ultimately with what he's doing with the EvoGrid grid will probably be a contributor to whatever's created. Um, but it's a yeah, it's it's that kind of level of complexity and discussion currently.
1: Well, um, uh, it would, it, if I was to, to try to uh, represent in XML or, or define an XML uh, schema, I think that's, that's the best name. That would represent uh, what I have inside Everon. Would that would that be of a help or certainly that's something and, I could do? Yeah, that. if
0: if you see already on I think on the BIOTA wiki A few of us, uh, Gerald, uh, Scott Schaefer, and I in particular, uh, developed uh, phenotypes for each of our, which are fundamentally schema, um, just single instance representation, but with some discussion. And then through that, there was a kind of collaborative discussion. Uh, Scott's work has gone a different direction. Obviously, Gerald's work has gone a different direction. I still maintain the XML phenotype as part of NOBLA, but I, I do my own development independently too. So certainly by all means create create a schema uh, or just an in, in individual instance with some discussion uh, of what you'd like to see from either end and, and put it into the mix currently. What I'm talking about is really more formalization yes. of what we've done informally currently.
1: Yes, yes, which would come up in something around much, you think.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. it will just be either... A part of the BIOTA site, I'm not really sure how this actually works internally, we're still working that out. Or like, you know, just a URL within BIOTA or it'll be a separate site. Or it may even be a separate test site initially that then goes back into BIOTA, but this is the <laughs> this is the project planning nature of it as opposed to the actual practicality. For what you need to do currently, um, go to the BIOTA wiki, uh, get a user account on the BIOTA wiki, uh, and uh, start putting in um, your XML phenotype into the wiki, and, and we'll take it from there. That's the way that it's done currently. So we can we can work sure. on that after uh, after the recording and uh, get you get you involved in the wiki initially.
1: Sure, looking forward to it and to what my well to a slightly more formalized organisation around March, I guess.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes well hello uh, it's been wonderful to chat with you this evening and i've i've got to say once you've been formally invited once on biota live, you can come back whenever you want, <laughs> <laughs> so please feel free to I know the times and uh, you know things are, are varying, but i mean please feel free to uh, come back on a future Biota live and maybe when we formalize this thing in March and things are moving in that direction maybe you could participate in some kind of group discussion show that we had uh, relating to that as well
1: sure thank you very much it's a lot easier for me now being in Mexico than, than before
0: certainly and <laughs> one final note you you are the origin of bio to live light uh, and it represents about 10 to fifteen percent of the community that get their uh, bio to live updates through the through the light feed yeah. um, I mean, that that in itself has been a great inspiration. For people that are listening, and the feedback that I get is that they're all over the world, but they're in relatively remote places with poor connections. You were once there in some regard. I, give give inspiration to these people in terms of their participation in the biota community.
1: You mean when, when I was in Saudi Arabia? Well, actually, that's that, that's when I was in Saudi Arabia that I started to, to join the biotype life uh, well the time the mailing list and uh, indeed the type of network internet connection I have over there was uh, hardly better than the uh, modem over a telephone line I had uh, a 128 kilobits per second and that was when nobody else was using it that is very late at night but in a day it could go down to 30 or 60 kilobits per second and I think that was the origin of our conversation and your suggestion of uh, uh, well of a biota life uh, light, which is in a slightly smaller size file, which I could download in reasonable times um, well I, I don't know I think uh, uh, at that time also I tried to 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 join um, what was it the the course from uh, Nick Gordon. Mm-hmm. On uh, Second Life, and that was something totally impossible. So really, in those conditions, the only thing we can do is uh, email. Hardly do uh, do browsing, but the only communication we get with the rest of the world is, is email. Even uh, um, video, I mean, even Skype, sometimes was very difficult to use. <laughs> so email is really the only means of communication that remains. And and in there, even then, I mean, in Saudi Arabia, I was uh, among among the people who had uh, a fairly good uh, internet connection. Yeah, I don't know. W- w- was that your question? I think there are some members of the the community that are in parts of the world that are a lot more uh, difficult. Uh, I think there were some people who were in, in Iraq or things like this. Yeah, certainly. Parts of the world are uh, even more difficult. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that was certainly my own experience in Australia. Even before, before I left Australia, all I had was dial-up connection, and certainly I maintained contact with people in Australia that still. Get uh, you know get biota life light through dial up connection, and I think the important thing is that you don 't you don 't really need powerful computers or powerful network connections in order to develop artificial life as a hobbyist and mm-hmm. what what people find is that through email and through you know setting up various projects they' they 're able to actually interact with the community, and that 's certainly something that I feel is part of my mandate and my editorial duties with Biota is to make sure that uh, well, you do need an internet connection. I'm, I'm yet to... Although I, I could potentially burn CDs for people if they wanted to, to <laughs> deliver it in that way. But, you know, the, the the nature of the communication doesn't have to be with the fastest possible computers or the highest possible bandwidth. In fact, the a lot of the insights that have come through the community have come from people in almost complete isolation. Uh,
1: <laughs> Maybe the, the result is that you you have more time to... to... Spend on, on your own passion. Uh, less time communicating in a way, probably. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, indeed, I, I started this uh, this uh, website. Uh, well, on on Google, I started it when I was in Saudi Arabia, and then it was uh, it's not a problem. I mean, obviously, from time to time you get disconnected, and then you just get back to it uh, at night when there's <laughs> more people, less people using the, the bandwidth available. But uh, yeah, not, it, it wasn't a problem to actually set up a website in these editions no. It's just uh, live communication that is difficult over, the, over audio or video.
0: Well, I don't know, it's been wonderful to to talk to you this evening. Like I said, don't be a stranger. You're posting on the Biota Conversations mailing list. And yeah, around this March time frame, let's get together again and talk about collaboration.
1: Sure. Thank you very much, Tom.
0: I'll talk to you soon. Have take a good care. evening. You too. Yes.